0: This is the City of God podcast, where Christ meets culture. And I want to welcome you to the City of God podcast, where we are weekly talking about today's biggest cultural issues all through the lens of God's infallible word. I am Rob Pacienza, and as always, joined by my co-host, John Rabe. John, great to see you today.
1: It's great to see you, Rob. I feel like I say this every week, but I I also feel like every week we top ourselves. I, I continue to be amazed at the caliber of guests that we've been able to get for this podcast. And I would love to be able to take credit for that. I know that I can't. In fact, we don't tell the guests that I'm on the program, I- I- hoping to get them to come on. Uh, and so, but uh, it, thanks to you and thanks to David Wright, our producer, just an incredible lineup of guests. And again, I think we've topped ourselves this week with a guest with a name that everybody listening is familiar with and will want to hear from. Absolutely. Uh, today, we're going to be joined by
0: uh, Eric Metaxas, uh, well-known author, thought leader, um, written number of books, certain uh, biographies, uh, tracing the life of uh, Martin Luther, Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Uh, but we're going to talk uh, be talking about his latest book, Letter to the American Church, uh, where he draws some incredible parallels between uh, the German church in uh, 1939 and the American church in the 21st century.
1: It's very interesting to me to watch uh, Eric's trajectory as well, because I think... It says something about the times in which we live. You know, I first became aware of Eric Metaxas about 15 years ago, probably in the late uh, aughts, as we would call him now. And uh, he was a guy that would sort of be considered a, a a moderate centrist voice who's really just dealing with things from a philosophical perspective. And I don't think it's so much that that there was a radical change in him as there was a radical change in our times. And as someone who is Faithful to Christ and faithful to the scriptures. He has more and more stood against the the decline that we are seeing, whether it's, uh, you know, same-sex marriage, transgenderism or so forth. Uh, one of the, the keystone moments uh, that brought Eric Metaxas to the attention of many people is that he was invited to uh, speak at the national prayer breakfast at which President Barack Obama was present. And in a very winsome but firm way, he actually spoke out to the president about the issue of abortion and essentially that. called him out, but in a very gracious but firm way uh, in a in a very bipartisan setting. Uh, that was when I realized there's something interesting going on with Eric Metaxas, and this is a voice to listen to. And now we see he's sounding the alarm for the American church. Yeah,
0: so we'll talk about that book. We'll talk about complacency with Christians in America today. And we'll just talk about the overall importance of Christians in the 21st century engaging uh, uh, the public square concerning uh, their faith and yeah. what matters to, to, to the church and to Christians. So without further ado, uh, we pray that you enjoy this interview with Eric Metaxas. Eric, so good to have you on the City of God podcast. Um, let's jump right in. Your newest book, "Letter to the American Church," certainly stirred up a lot of conversation, maybe even controversy. Uh, tell us a little bit about why you wrote that book,
2: its theme, and what inspired you. Never in my life have I written a book um, for Christians. I always write my books for everybody. Uh, it seems that mostly Christians buy them or give them to friends, but This was a book I wrote, um, to those who call themselves Christians. And I wrote it because I don't say this lightly. Um, I I know that the Lord put it on my heart that, that this was something that he wanted me to communicate. And, and I don't, uh, you know, that, that, that can come across the wrong way. I just know that I had these ideas bumping around in my head, and I, and I had this burning sense that God wanted me to put this into a book. I, I've i never, ever felt this before, uh, and I knew it would be a short book. It's my shortest book, but I, I've never, ever felt that before, and the reason I wrote it, of course, is that my book on Bonhoeffer, which was the longest book I ever wrote, gave me a sense of what happened in Germany in the 1930s. And and I know that the principal effort that Bonhoeffer made was to wake up the church. He knew, he knew that if he could wake up the church to stand against the evil of the Nazis, to recognize it, and to recognize that God called them to stand against it, they could prevail. He knew that. And we know that the church did not listen to what Bonhoeffer was saying that they said, you know what? We don't want to be political. Uh, we don't want to be divisive. We just want to preach the gospel. We just want to keep playing church and the judgment that fell on that nation because of the silence of the church, it was satanic evil. And that was because of the silence of the church. And I knew in the last number of years that people often said, Hey, how did that happen in Germany? And I think people want to act like, oh, that was just some crazy thing that happened another time. It could never happen here. Uh, my answer has increasingly been it happened there precisely as it is happening right now in America. Same excuses, same, you know, we don't want to be political. We don't want to be divisive. We just want to preach the gospel. Total garbage theologically. Uh, you know, you say, oh, Romans 13. It's real clear we're supposed to obey the government. Well, that that's not even biblical when you when you put it that way what romans 13 is saying is not going to contradict you know the book of esther or, or how many places in the scripture do you have people standing for their faith and for what is right and true against the government and willing to even die for it so these lies that the church bought in the 1930s about how we're supposed to just keep our heads down and, you know, just preach our little gospel and don't speak up about evil, harming people, destroying freedom. Uh, We're not supposed to talk about that. Those lies have been bought by the American church today. And I wrote this book because I had a, as I said, this burning passion. I felt God wanted me to, to, to say these things. And this is where it gets hopeful to wake up the church so that we do not fall into the trap that the German church did. Now we are falling into that trap today. Many people who call themselves Christians, they say, I'm a born again evangelical. I'm, I'm all in for that. They don't understand that if that's true, God is calling you to speak against evil. He's calling you to take risks. He's not calling you to play a little safe Christian game because that's what the Germans did in the thirties. And we know how that went. And the evil that has come upon us in this nation uh, it is even more clear, dramatically more clear than it was to the Germans in the 30s. It, it, it's more open right now. They they even had more of an excuse for missing it. So that's, that's why I wrote the book. And my hope is that many in the American church will say, you know what? Yeah, this is biblical. We miss this we need to speak up. And if we don't speak up, God will hold us accountable because he is a judge. He expects us to live out our faith, not to just talk about it, Amen. but to live it out heroically.
1: Amen. And there's a lot to unpack there, including uh, regarding the the complacency of the church and the way that it's even been sort of built in theologically to uh, to some of the things that have been taught, as you alluded to. But of course, Eric, I don't have to tell you, you would have anticipated this before you even put pen to paper. As soon as you start making a comparison with Nazi Germany or Germany in the 1930s and the and the, the build up to World War II. You know, people start to talk about, oh, Godwin's law and everything becomes Hitler, Hitler, Hitler. There's no question that there are often times that people just try to marginalize those they disagree with by comparing them to Hitler. But that's not what you're doing here. The, the, explain to me the, the comparison. Why is it that you see this parallel between what's happening right now and 1930s Germany.
2: Well, listen, the reason people are uncomfortable with references to Hitler is because they have bought a lie. What is the lie they bought? Evil doesn't really exist anymore. Mm. That was evil. We don't have that anymore. We've moved past that. We have never moved past that. There is as much evil in the world today and in every human heart as there was During the time of Hitler, we just have been fortunate not to see it manifest itself. And so we're beginning to see it manifest itself when you're destroying the lives of of young people by by confusing them uh, into mutilating their bodies. That is evil. When you're talking about, you know, murdering the unborn, when you when you have an entire uh, party that sold its soul to the idea that we are. Uh, we want to make it possible to kill children in the womb up until the ninth month. We don't. Does anybody really believe that's not a human being at that point? But they were advocating for this openly. Evil is becoming more manifest, and so I think that w- we need to be clear. The idea that like that could happen then in the 30s in Germany because there was this bad guy Hitler. Well, he's gone, and we're you know, <laughs> the evil exists in every generation. Anybody who lived in Soviet communism understood that that lasted for 70 years. Uh, Brutalization of people of faith, of just human beings generally, subjugation of people, the enslavement of people, wiping out of what we should cherish as freedom That is all around the world. And I I really think that somehow we act like we're exempt, like somehow that can't happen here. I just want to go to my nice church on Sunday morning and and have a nice Sunday. That Christianity is from the pit of hell. God does not call us to lead a safe Christian life. He calls us to live out our faith heroically. People around the world are giving their lives for their faith, losing their families, losing. We need to have that kind of heroic uh, lion's heart of God and stop playing this kind of churchianity, whatever it is, the, the evil has come upon us. And I think many people are waking up and saying, yes, I need to stand up. My children are being threatened. They're being, they're being uh, indoctrinated in, in public schools with my taxpayer money uh, to believe horrible things. Uh, everywhere we look, there's madness. And I really believe the Lord has allowed this madness and this evil to come upon us to wake up his church. And it's always going to be a remnant. Many people are never going to wake up, but I believe people are waking up. I'm actually hopeful.
0: So Eric, what do you say to the pastor uh, that, that makes the statement? I don't want to preach politics from the pulpit or the congregant that says, I don't want to go to a church that deals with political issues. What is your message to that majority out there that have that
2: understanding of politics and religion? The short message is God is going to judge you, so you better make sure you're right. And by the way, you're wrong. God does not call us to be apolitical. Now, look, we're not talking about, you know, preaching politics from the pulpit. I mean, people use this as this boogeyman. Mm -hmm. If, If you were alive in the day of William Wilberforce, this is the man I wrote about in my book, Amazing Grace. He led the battle to abolish the slave trade in the British Empire. That was political. Would you... In that day, have said, you know what? I don't care about the Africans that are suffering the tortures of the damned. I don't care about them because I don't want to be political. I just want to go to my nice church and have a little liturgy and then go home. People, Christians said that in those days. In uh, when you think about in this country, we had slavery in this country. There were people because of their Christian faith. They said. I must speak against this. The whole abolitionist movement in America was led by Bible-thumping Methodists, by people that knew the word of God commanded them to do unto others as they would have others do unto them, which means you're going to speak against slavery. Now, there were people in this country in the 19th century who said, oh, I don't want to be political. Maybe there's somebody in my audience, in my congregation, who might be offended by that. Ladies and gentlemen, you have to make a choice. You have to say, do I fear God? Or do I fear uh, the scorn of my neighbor or the scorn of my, my neighbor in the pew who may look at me funny? But the point is, the Lord cares about those who are suffering under slavery. The Lord cares about those who are being sexually trafficked because of our open southern border. The Lord cares about those in China uh, who are being murdered uh, for their organs. He calls us to care about all of those people. And sometimes that means being political. So this lie, which is not at all biblical, that I'm not supposed to be political in the pulpit. No, you're not supposed to get up there and be a politician. But how do you avoid these issues? These issues are on God's heart. They were on God's heart when William William Wilberforce led the battle against the slave trade in the British Empire. And everybody told him, keep your politics uh, out of faith. Keep your faith out of politics. And he said, I can't. I won't. That's not what God is calling me to do. Um, People have to make a choice. Is is what I'm saying true Um, or am I crazy? I mean, uh, the history says that Christians have always sometimes been forced to be political, not because we make an idol of politics. You're not to make an idol of anything, by the way. But if you worship God, you will speak up for those who have no voice. You'll speak up because you yourself have a voice, you have freedom. And also you're supposed to fear God, not man. So you're supposed to speak up and and be God's voice in the midst of a culture that's looking for truth uh, and justice. So I, I think that that's just, you know, it becomes kind of a cheap excuse, people that they don't, it's like, I don't want any trouble. Yeah. Well, if you care about others, you're going to have to, you're going to have to maybe have a little trouble, but that's what God calls you to do
1: in his strength. So and of healthy. course, yeah, the left politicizes literally everything in life, and then tells you, oh, by the way, you you shouldn't discuss politics uh, in in church. And of course, the moral issues remain the moral issues. Eric, let's talk a little bit about the enemy that we're facing here, because that's something that you cover in the book and that we've talked about on our own program as well. But it's just so vital that people have a clear understanding of of the enemy that we're talking about here and the ideology that is. At at work that we are opposing uh, it, when when it comes to this sort of atheistic Marxist ideology that's that's reaching its tentacles into to virtually every area of life well there's
2: there's no doubt about it I mean first of all our enemy is Satan but Satan has uh, affected uh, our culture and countries around the world I mean this globalist idea that you're not supposed to love your country, that's that's out of the pit of hell. I don't care if you're an American or if you. I was just in Greece. Um, you see this globalism everywhere. That I'm, I'm not supposed to be excited and love my country. Of course you are. Just like you're supposed to be proud of your hometown or you're supposed to love your family. That's not supposed to compete with your love of God. That's supposed to be part of how you love God. And that idea is out there now, and it is trying to wipe out. I mean, imagine we live in a country that has traditionally believed in freedom, that human beings are sacred, we're made in God's image, we're free, and we fought for that freedom, and we fought to keep that freedom. And there are people now saying, you know, all countries are the same. Well, North Korea is the same as America, China, we, many people are avoiding this stuff simply because they're ignorant of the evil around the world. Most people around the world would do absolutely anything to live in a free country as we've had here. And so this idea of globalism, it's trying to wipe out distinctions. It's kind of like people would do this, you know, back in the Cold War, they say, oh, you know, we've got our problems here. We've got racism here. So, you know, yeah, they got problems in the Soviet Union, but we've all got problems. No, that's, that's garbage, folks, because in this country, we have a means to redress the wrongs, and we have done that. Uh, we have endeavored over and over and over again to right the wrongs of our past. In a place like the Soviet Union, you even mention something against the government. They will crush you. So this idea of moral relativism, like, you know, oh, we're all screwed up, that's, that's simply – Nonsense, But you're, you're hearing that today and it, it manifests itself as anti-Americanism or don't be don't be patriotic. You've got nothing to be proud about. Frankly, uh, you know, these ideas, a lot of the times people say like, well, Hitler, that was nationalism. It's like, well, not exactly. That was nationalism under the banner of Adolf Hitler. Healthy nationalism, you know, whether you're Benjamin, sorry, um, Abraham Lincoln. I wrote a book called If You Can Keep It, where I talk all about America. There was no greater lover of this nation than Abraham Lincoln. That's healthy nationalism to be proud of what we have and to want to, frankly, share it with the whole world. What we're facing today. Uh, is globalism? And globalism is uh, anti-nationalism. It's anti-america. And you know we have to understand that these forces are at work over time. and 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 we need to be alive to what is happening. and we need to ask what is God saying now. And we need to be willing to do what he's asking us to do, because to have faith without works is to mock God, it's to mock the idea of faith. And a lot of us have bought into that idea, not just that, oh, I I don't want to be political, but that I don't need to do anything. My faith is just something in my head, and I don't need to live out my faith. That's not the faith that we read about in the scripture.
0: Eric, part of the problem is the, the church today in the 21st century is deemed irrelevant. Uh, we've privatized our faith. Uh, we have gone into our holy huddles. Uh, we've bought into the lie of extreme pietism. Uh, but for 2,000 years, the church has been the hope of the world. Uh, for 2,000 years, Christians have been living a public faith and and have had great influence on society. I think part of the problem is uh, the secular elites have advanced an erroneous understanding of the separation of church and state can you explain a little bit about the separation of church and state and and what why we really need to help our listeners and the church as a whole have a better understanding of what the founders intended
2: yeah I mean in the in in the book we're talking about a letter to the American church in the beginning of it I explain how did we get here uh how do we get to this place uh where we where, where where people where Christians don't understand we have a duty to be involved in everything, including the political, include everything. And part of it comes from a total misunderstanding of the separation of church and state. Separation of church and state was put in place by the founders, this idea, to protect Christians from the state. It was always the state, the authoritarian state that wants to control people and subjugate people. And Christians needed to be freed from that. So you have our founders brilliantly saying we're not going to have any establishment of religion. We're going to allow people to be religiously free, that you can choose to go to church, not go to church, pick the church you want to go to, or go to a mosque, whatever you want to do, you are free. And our faith is meant to be free. That's a beautiful idea, but it's been twisted over the years. And many Christians, ironically and tragically, have bought into the lie that separation church and state means I keep my faith private. It doesn't affect the rest of me. It's just this thing I do on Sunday mornings, or I just have a quiet time. If your faith is not lived out in every sphere of your life, and if we, the church do not bring our faith into every sphere of life, we're fundamentally misunderstanding God's mandate to us. We are to bring our faith into every sphere because it's beautiful. It is good. It is true. The Lord calls us to do that. And so this bad idea, that many in the church have bought into uh, is, uh, it's it's just ironic because it's the opposite of what the founders intended. And it's the opposite of what the Lord intends in the scripture. Uh, I always quote Abraham Kuyper, this famous Dutch theologian who said, there's not one square inch of all creation uh, in which Jesus, who is sovereign, does not say mine. So, So the Lord says that every part of the world is under my authority. I am sovereign, and I want you as the church to live that out and to understand that that this doesn't mean theocracy. On the contrary, it's going to be free. Our faith has to be free. You can't impose it. But for us to kind of hide in our corner and act like, well, it's not relevant, or I don't want to, I don't want to bring it out there. If you don't bring it out there, you're going to have slavery. If you don't bring it out there, you're going to have real racism. Uh, if you don't bring it out there, you're going to have uh, child sex trafficking. People living out their faith is the answer to this myriad of problems.
1: Eric, I know that our time is running short here, but as we start to finish up, uh, you know, we're in a scenario now where we see how dangerous the ideology that we're facing is. We see the effect that it's having. Everything from children being surgically mutilated uh, because they are, are, are trying to change their, their gender identity to, uh, you know, churches being shut down by the government during the, the COVID pandemic and, and everything in between. There's a, a lot to be concerned. Concerned about and the landscape looks bleak right now. But I know that you also have hope that you have an optimistic view. So what should we be doing and why can we have hope even amidst what is really a, a bleak picture that we have right now?
2: Well, you know, again, I believe the Lord called me to write this book. And if that's true, it means that he wants his church to hear this message. This is not just, you know, be a Cassandra and say this, and nobody listens to it. Um, that happened in Bonhoeffer's day. That happened to the Old Testament prophets. They said these things, but I really believe, uh, and I'm not comparing myself to them. I'm just saying the general idea that that God is speaking through his people, um, and w- he wouldn't be doing that if there wasn't Hope, and so I believe that people are daily waking up. The horrors are getting so horrific. The evil is being so manifested, and you just mentioned a number of ways that a lot of people are looking around and saying, "You know what? I got to do something. If if I don't do something, I'm guilty. This is so bad that I need to step up. I need to run for school board. I need to homeschool my kids. I need to be involved politically. I need to to just speak out in my workplace. I need to. I need to." do what God is calling me to do in this hour because he he raised me up for this hour. And I I really believe that that is happening. In Romans 8:28 all things work together for good for those that love the Lord and call according to his purposes. That means all bad things that are happening now, the Lord is using them to wake people up. And 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 so I rejoice in that that there are people waking up that the evilness of evil is, is so clear that people are saying this, this is nuts. I didn't see this coming. You know, the transgender lunacy, everybody knows this is lunacy. Everybody knows the idea of having an open border is crazy. Everybody knows uh, that defunding the police is going to harm the poor and poor communities. I mean, this is crazy. I need to, I need to step up. I need to live out my faith in all these fears. So I do see that happening, but obviously we need more and more and more people to wake up and to get activated and understand faith without works is dead. You need to live out your faith and you need to stop believing this lie that has crept into the church that faith is just this intellectual thing. Oh, I'm saved by faith, which means I don't have to think about anything else. Well, if you're saved by faith, if your faith is real, you're going to live out your faith. And if you're not living out your faith, then I have to ask you, what's the evidence for your faith? You, you can't fool God. Uh, He knows if you really believe these things and if you really believe what you claim to believe, you'll live fearlessly and joyfully and you'll act on your faith and you'll know the Lord is with you as you do that.
0: Eric, one more question. We're working currently on a uh, documentary called The Gender Delusion, and we're going to be talking about the attack on gender and God's design for gender uh, in the 21st century. And one of the ways that the culture is attacking uh, God's design for gender is with the next generation. We have a lot of parents, grandparents listening to this podcast. What would your message be in a in a, in a time where it seems like God's design in every category is under attack, particular, particularly particularly your message to the next generation what would your message of encouragement be to parents and grandparents as they're raising uh christian citizens uh to be
2: uh, to grow up and be in the world but not of the world well i mean i'll say two things that are pretty simple if you're going to a church that is not dealing with this stuff Mm -hmm. that is is being quiet get out of that church You, you cannot give your money and your time to people who are looking the other way in the face of evil. Again, silence in the face of evil is itself evil. Uh, Not to speak is to speak, not to act is to act. God will not hold us guiltless. So if you're going to a church that is looking the other way on this stuff, you've become part of the problem. You need to get out of there and you need to go to a place that's addressing this stuff. If your kids are in a school, including some Christian schools that are just going along with half of this stuff, you need to get your kids out of there. Uh, You need to homeschool your kids. I mean, I got to tell you the most normal, wonderful people that I ever meet are homeschooled kids. It's unbelievable to me uh, how delightful it is, how mature they are, their heads are on straight. And so I think, again, all this evil stuff is sort of waking people up. We need to do something. We can't continue along the lines that we've been going. And we have to understand that all these things are a war on God. Uh, The war against gender, uh, this idea that, does not the scripture say that he created us in his image, male and female, that is a picture of who God is and, and his will for us. And it's supposed to be a glorious thing. And so this is all a war on God and God is calling his people to step up and to know that he called you to this hour. He wants to use you in this hour and you don't want to miss it. That's, that's the big thing. You do not want to miss it. This is why you were born, why you were saved. And he wants us to step into our faith. Eric Bataxis, the author of *Letter to the American
0: Church*. If you don't have a copy of it, it's that blue book right o- over his shoulder. I highly <laughs> recommend it. Uh, not only does it in- include incredible parallels between 1930s German church and the American church today, but there is a clear call to action. I love Eric's voice, his heart, his passion, uh, but I love his call. His call to the American church in the 21st century. Eric, we're grateful for you and. Thank you so much for coming on the City of God podcast. My privilege. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the City of God podcast and our interview with Eric Metaxas. As always, if you enjoyed this podcast or any of the other previous episodes, we pray that you would pass this along to family and friends as we together explore what it means to engage culture all through the lens of God's infallible word. The City of God podcast is produced by Coral Ridge Ministries and made in partnership with the Institute for Faith and Culture. Visit us at cityofgodpodcast.com to access all of our previous episodes. You can also listen on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, or anywhere you get podcasts. A full video version of this podcast is available on YouTube. This is the City of God podcast, where Christ meets
2: culture.